with God being fair and just. What comes to your mind? What is your view of God when there is a stillborn birth or when a drunk driver kills someone else in an accident yet walks away from it unharmed? Or when a godly person gets cancer, but an ungodly person lives carefree. Have you ever questioned the righteousness of God by shouting out, by saying, God, that's not fair. God wants us to trust in his righteousness and also in the righteousness of his word. Father Abraham leaned on the everlasting arms of the righteousness of God. God revealed to him that he was going to destroy Sodom. And when Abraham heard that information, he wanted to intercede on the behalf of those who are righteous. He can understand God destroying the wicked, but he wanted to know, what about the righteous? And Abraham asked God a very important question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right, do that which is just? Abraham believed that God was judge. Abraham believed that God was just. And so as he bartered with God, so to speak, as he tried to bargain with God concerning the righteous, he came to understand that God is the righteous one and that God knows everything well. You see, when you properly understand and comprehend the righteousness of God, then that will help you to be calm in the chaos of life. When you realize that your God is righteous, that will help you and sustain you when you look at things all around you that you can't understand and don't recognize what is going on. God's righteousness helps the people of God. God wants to use this text today to cause us to rest in his righteousness and his righteous word. The psalmist was like Abraham. He was like Father Abraham in the sense that he leaned on the everlasting arms of God's righteousness. As I pointed out before, don't get the wrong conclusion about the psalmist that just because he loved God and loved the word and loved the ways of God, don't come to the conclusion that means that everything's going to be all right, that you won't have any problems, that you won't have any difficulties. We come to another stanza of eight verses, and it's clear in these eight verses that things are not easy for the psalmist. The psalmist is living in the midst of people who ignore the word of God. They don't want to pay attention to it. The, the psalmist says that his enemies look at him as unimportant and insignificant. He's small. 
He's despised. And he even talks about trouble and anguish having tracked him down, so to speak, so that that is his experience. Life is not easy for him. Life is difficult. But one thing that the psalmist teaches us and the thing that God wants us to learn is that when there is chaos, we can be calm. And so we can rest in God's righteousness and we can rest in the righteousness of his word. As we consider these eight verses, I want to do so from the subject, resting in a righteous God in his upright word. Those two go together. If God is righteous, then his word is upright. And so instead of us being in a situation where we're unraveling in light of the things that are going on around us, we need to rest in God. Instead of us reeling and rocking, we need to understand that we can rely upon God and we can live steady lives. Now, if we are going to rest in the righteousness of God and his upright word, then we must be convinced of the righteousness of God and of his word. It it has to be an internal conviction that when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the righteousness of God, that we believe that it is right and upright. That has to be a conviction of the heart. Uh, That's more than just a doctrinal creed. That's more than just an article of faith that we believe. It has to be a conviction of the heart that God is righteous and his word is upright. The psalmist, he was resting. Yeah, he's going through a lot of difficult, hard things. But he's resting in the fact that his God is righteous and that the word of his God is is righteous also. And so the psalmist affirms that God is righteous in the first part of verse 137. He directly addresses God. He says to God, righteous art thou, using some King James language. You are righteous, O Lord. That's all he's saying. He's talking to his God. And he says to his God, he cries out to his God. He says, God, you are righteous. He doesn't need a lot of words. He just wants to get to the point. He wants to declare to his God that, God, you are righteous. He's not allowed his circumstances or the people around him to distort his view of God. And, and Satan loves to do that. Satan loves to get you to have the wrong view of God through the actions of others and also through the things that you experience and encounter. But the psalmist, even though he's suffering, even though he's considered small and despised, even though he has adversaries and enemies, He will not allow that to taint his view of God. 
He won't let that mango or mar who God is. He won't let that distort the, the character of God. In, in, in all that he's going through, he can say dogmatically from the heart, God, you are righteous. Even though I'm being faced by enemies, they're persecuting me, they're doing these things to me, even though they talk about me and say I'm small and despised, even though all of those things are going on, God, you are righteous. I will not allow my circumstances or the company that I keep to distort my picture, my view of you. You're righteous. He believes that God is judge. He believes that God is righteous. He believes that God is a punisher of evil and a rewarder of that which is good. And we recognize that a fundamental attribute of God is that he's righteous. Thank God the Bible tells us what our God is like, that we don't have to be ignorant of him. We know that he's holy. We know that he's loving. We know that he's all powerful. And the list goes on. But one of the things the Bible says over and over and over again is that God is righteous, that God is just, that God is fair. And that's what the psalmist is proclaiming with these opening words. Regardless of what I go through, God, thank you for allowing me to see who you actually are, that you are indeed righteous. Thank you that I don't look at the circumstances of life and all of the things going on in this wicked, evil world and that maims and distorts and mangles your purity and that you are righteous. Psalm, not Psalm, but Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, righteous and upright is he, that is God. Did you hear that? Righteous and upright is God. And so the psalmist affirms that God is righteous. And when he does that, he is saying that God's character is righteous. You can't bring any accusations against him. You can't level any charges against his character of being righteous. And his conduct is righteous. He does that which is right. He doesn't do it from our point of view, but from his point of view. From the one who knows all things perfectly. Abraham struggled with that. He's saying, God, if you're righteous, then you won't let this happen. But, but God basically said, Abraham, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know how many righteous people are in Sodom. I do. And one thing that you can rest upon, Abraham, is that I am the judge of all the earth. I do that which is right and just. And sometimes, my friends, that's all we can bank on. Uh, when we look at it from our eyes, through our human eyes, we, we don't see the whole picture. And it might seem like God isn't fair, that God isn't just. But what we have to do is have that conviction of heart and rely upon the fact of what the Bible says is that God is righteous. He's righteous and he's upright. And, and that might be all that we can cling to. Because everything else might say something different. So are you going to believe the circumstances, the situations, other people? Or are you going to believe God? But God goes on 
record in his word saying that he is righteous. But not only is he righteous, his word is righteous. And that's understandable. If a righteous God has revealed himself, that which he reveals about himself is righteous also. So yes, we can call the Bible the Holy Bible. But we can also call the Bible the Righteous Bible, the Upright Bible, because it is just and fair. It comes from the God who is just and fair. And so the psalmist says at the end of verse 137, upright are thy judgments. He uses one of the terms for the word of God. Eight different terms in Psalm 119 for the Bible. Here he refers to it as judgments. And the psalmist says, upright are thy judgments. Your decisions, your judgments are upright. And to drive that home, he says in verse 138, thou hast commanded thy testimony. Another word for the Bible. Thou hast commanded thy Bible in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. The Bible has come about because God is righteous and God is faithful. And so when we look at this book, it's not the opinions of men. This book did not just come about by happenstance. It didn't uh, just, quote, drop out of heaven. This book was commanded and appointed and brought about by God himself. That's what he's saying. You have commanded, you have appointed these commandments that we are to live by. And, And when you did that, God, you did it reflecting your character, your character of being righteous, your character of being exceeding faithfulness. And so now I have a book, 66 books of the Bible, that I can live by. There's a book that is righteous, upright. So I don't have to go to the, uh, no, have some fortune teller tell me something. I don't have to go have somebody read my fortune or anything like that. I can go to the word. God's word is righteous. The psalmist said it's God, the God brought it about, who is righteous and exceeding faithful. So you can trust the Bible. You can rely upon the Bible. When the Bible gives you instruction and guidance on how to live life, you can know that God's judgments are upright. You can follow them and live by them because they come from the God who is righteous and his word is right and dependable. You can trust on it, trust in it. So the question is, is this the conviction of your heart? Is it the conviction of your heart that God is righteous? Are you wrestling with that? Are you struggling with that? Is it the conviction of your heart That God's word is righteous. That God's word comes from a righteous God. That it can lead you and direct you and guide you. And that's why we encourage you. Encourage myself to spend time in this word. Practice this word. Study this word. Because of its nature. 
It's not just God who is righteous. His word is righteous. If we're going to rest in a righteous God, in our righteous God, in his word, his upright word, then we must be consumed with the fact that God's word is to be implemented and not ignored. We we have to be people who are consumed with the implementation of God's word and not with God's word being ignored. Can Can I put it a different way? We gotta be people who are eaten up by the fact that we want God's word practiced and not pimped. And that's what some of us are doing. We're pimping the word of God. We use it for our good, our benefit to justify our decisions. No, but we want to practice the word in every area of our life. Or to put it in the words of James 1.22, we are to be individuals who want people to be doers of the word. And not just simply hearers of the word. That's what's required if we're going to rest in God and in his word. The, the message of verse 139 is clear. The message is don't lay aside the word. Don't lay it aside. When we come to verse 129, I'm sorry, 139, the psalmist says, my situation is affecting me. He says in this verse, my zeal, my passion, my fervor is having an impact upon me. And what it's doing, it's eating me up. It's consuming me. It's overwhelming me. As one translation says, it's wearing me out. Something is going on internally in the psalmist where he talks about his passion, his zeal. And he's saying basically that he has a zeal for God's word implemented in practice, and that's impacting him. It's almost like he's eaten up out of existence. My my zeal, my passion. For your word, God. I I want to see it lived in people's lives. I don't want to see it ignored. And and so he says, God, my zeal is eating me up. Why, psalmist? Why is it eating you up? Why has it almost put you out of existence? He says, because my adversaries have forgotten your word, God. Sounds familiar? Last Sunday. We came to the end of the previous stanza, and the psalmist says, my eyes shed streams of water. Why? Because my enemies have broken your law. They don't keep your word. This is kind of a different angle. He's saying my zeal is eating me up. It's consuming my passion. It's almost like he's on the verge of anger, but it's not. It's a godly zeal. It's a godly passion. And the reason why this zeal is eating him up is that he cannot stand for people to ignore the word of God. 
His view of God's Word is that you have to listen to it and you have to practice it. You can't ignore it. And when he finds people who ignore the Word in any part of their life, it it eats him up. It eats him up. He becomes weary and exhausted to the point where he's almost put out of existence. And, And so the message Don't lay aside the word. Don't ignore the word. When he says they've forgotten the word, he's not talking about, oh, I can't remember. Like I have to say all the time. I tell people all the time, it's good to come and talk with me about your problem. Because I'm going to forget it. I don't remember. That might last a week, a month, but eventually, you know, my wife tells me, you don't remember you saying this? I, I don't. But here, this is not a lapse of memory. These are individuals who know the word and they ignore it. These are people who know the word and they don't pay attention to it. They push it aside. That's what is burning up the psalmist. That's why he's passionate. He's saying, make sure that you don't lay aside the word. And then when you get to verse 140, he's got another message for us. And that message is... Do love the word. Don't ignore it, but do love the word. Despite how others treat the word, the psalmist does not let that distort his picture, his understanding of God's word. Others lay it aside. But the psalmist proclaims in verse 140, God, your word is very pure. Well tried is the idea that he is communicating. That God's word is exceedingly refined. That it's pure gold. It's been kind of put to the test and it shows itself as the real thing. In other words, it's proven that it works. As the writer of Hebrews says, that God's word is effective. It's effective. In the psalmist, when he says that God's word is very pure, he's saying this is a precious commodity that we have. This is a commodity that will work in every area of your life. Nothing excluded. Thy word is well tried. It's refined. There's no dross. There's no excess stuff to it where it does not work. It's the real thing. It's pure gold. And so are we shocked when he ends verse 140 by saying, therefore thy servant loves it? How can you not love a word that is pure, very pure? How can you not love a word that is righteous and upright? The the psalmist says, your word is very pure. Therefore, me, your servant, I love it. He's not talking about romantic feeling. He says, I'm committed to your word. I'm dedicated to your word. And so the message of verse 140 is, do love the word. But the message of verse 141 is, do live the word. It's not enough just to have affection and desire toward the word. Got to live it. That's what verse 141 is saying. The psalmist says, 
Look, I, I realize that people don't think highly of me. He says, I am small and despised. He's not talking about I'm five foot one. He's talking about how he's viewed by others through their eyes. And the psalmist says, so what? Others look at me and they despise me. They consider me small. They they look at me and say, I'm unimportant. I'm not significant. Let me go home and have a pity party. Let me go home and cry my eyes out. No, the psalmist says, it's real. I got enemies, I got adversaries, I got people who don't like me. They think I'm insignificant, I'm just a piece of dust. And I could use other terminology, but I'll let your mind go there. My mind won't go there. Okay, but and he says, I'm despised. People look down upon me. Poor psalmist. Loves God, loves his word, loves his ways. Poor psalmist that he doesn't get it. But despite that reality, and it is real, and it is no fun to be despised and looked down upon and be considered insignificant and unimportant. It's no fun when people just ignore you and push you aside and act like you're not of any value. I tell people as a pastor, I experience that. People don't tell me, ask me what to do. They tell me what they're going to do. I'm supposed to be watching over souls. But but insight from a pastor, eh, you're insignificant. You're not important, etc. But the psalmist says, even though that's the case, I'm not going to let that cause me to not practice the word of God. Look at what he says at the end, verse 141. He says, yet I do not forget thy precepts. My enemies do. They ignore it. They don't pay attention to it. But the psalmist says, regardless of what I'm going through, I don't let my circumstances, I don't let the actions of people or the attitudes of people cause me to ignore the word of God and to act like God has not spoken. He's committed to living the word. He he doesn't just love it, but he says, I do not forget thy commandments, thy word. And he says that throughout this psalm. And here's just one more time where he said, I'm committed to doing the word of God. And so I ask you, are you consumed with God's word being implemented and not ignored? Does it bother you at all that people hear the word and not do it? Is it just another day in your life and you can just keep going on? It consumed the psalmist. It was his passion to see people practice the word, to live the word and not ignore it. And so his message to you, his message to me is don't lay aside the word. 
Don't act as if God has not spoken. Do love the word. Be committed to it. Practice it. Be dedicated to it. And do live it. If we're going to rest in a righteous God, in our righteous God, in his upright word, then we must be confident in the character of God in his word. The the psalmist ends the remaining part of this stanza talking about the character of God and the character of God's word. We ought to have a blessed assurance when it comes to who God is, his character, and we ought to have a blessed assurance with regards to what the word is. And so we need to be confident in the character of God. And again, the psalmist was. He was confident. He had a blessed insurance concerning the character of God. He says in verse 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. He's speaking the same language that he did in verse 137 when he said, God, thou art righteous. But now it's a little bit further. He said, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. He's going all out concerning the righteousness of God. He's saying, God, your righteousness is not just for today. It wasn't just for yesterday, but it's for the future. It's for every day. Now, if I could take the words of Psalm 90, verse 2, and change it just a little bit, where the psalmist says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, God, in light of what the psalmist says here, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art a righteous God. There's never a moment that God is not righteous. And it doesn't matter if you can't see that. You don't understand that. Just fall back and rest on the fact that God's righteousness is everlasting. There is never, ever a moment in God's existence where he is not righteous. Confidence in the character of God, that our God, his righteousness is everlasting. And you will be tempted, you will be challenged on a regular basis to question the righteousness of God. And you'll say, God, where are you? God, why did you allow this to happen? God, what's going on? God, this ain't fair. And you'll have to lean on the everlasting arms of our righteous God. The psalmist came to a conviction. He had confidence that God's righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. But not only that, he was confident in the character of the word. Again, those two go together. Can't talk about God and ignore his word. And so he turns from the everlasting righteousness of God and talks about the character of the word. And as he talks about the character of the word, he points out, first of all, that God's word is truth. That's good to know. 
Good to know that when I read this book, I'm not reading fiction. Uh, That's not fantasy. It's not a comic book. It's truth. It's truth. And that's what Jesus said. Thy word is truth. That's what he said to his heavenly father. Second, God's word is delightful. Those aren't the comments coming when the psalmist is on top of the mountain. He says these words when trouble and anguish have come upon him. He personifies trouble. He personifies anguish. He says the person of trouble and the person of anguish, they track me down. They they got me. I'm experiencing trouble. I'm experiencing anger. I'm experiencing this anxiety, this anguish. Things are going on in my life externally and internally. So when he says something about the word, that's the context. He's not tiptoeing through the tulips as if life is so wonderful now that he's a child of God. No, as he's living life, he's experiencing the challenges and difficulties of life. Trouble. External trouble. Anguish, internal issues have gotten a hold of me. <laughs> but, but, but look at what he says. He says at the end of verse 140, I flee. I give up on the church. I run. Find me another ministry. I get out of here. Things got hard, tough. No, he says trouble and anguish have come upon me. But when that's a reality, he says, I know something that I can do. And it's not go to my friends and tell them how frustrated I am. It's not venting. No, he says, I find that your word is like eating sweet potato pie. It's like eating German chocolate cake. It's like eating carrot cake, even though I don't eat it. But it brought delight to him. I mean, if you were to see me eat uh, my, my sweet potato pie, you would know I'm a satisfied customer. But if you were to see me sometimes eating the word, I wonder what you would see. Does the word satisfy me? Does the word bring delight to my soul and joy? Some of us don't even know what that means. But the psalmist says, thy testimony are my delight. Thy commandments, the things you tell me, to, they're, they're my source of joy, inward satisfaction. He is proclaiming the, the, the delightfulness of the word of God. And, and that comes by experience. Some of us have one taste. And that's it. So I'm not saying that every time you Eat the word, it's going to be pleasant. As the writer of Hebrews says, sometimes the word cuts. Sometimes it penetrates and gets into areas of your life you don't want it to get into. It gets into your arrogance, into your pride. Am I thinking I'm better than anybody or this and that? And the word of God convicts us. That's what it does. That's, it's discerning. It will say something about your business. 
But there's also a sweetness to the word of God. And that word of God is delightful. And finally, the psalmist says that God's word is everlasting. He had said this about God, that God's righteousness is everlasting. But in verse 144, he says, thy testimonies are righteous forever. Never, ever, ever will be a time that anyone can lay an accusation against the word of God and saying, God, your word, what it says and what it communicates is not just and fair, that it's not righteous. Thy testimonies, he says, are righteous. And he doesn't stop there. He he said, I got to give you the full picture. Forever. To the end. Just like our God is righteous forever, the word of God is also righteous forever. And, And if we believe that, it would make a difference in our prayer life. And that's what happened with the psalmist. He ends by saying, give me understanding. Understanding of what? Understanding of your word. Your word is righteous forever. Your word is pure. Your word is desirable. It's delightful. It's lo- Give me understanding. Give me insight and wisdom from your word, God. Because I realize that is the key to living life. It comes through the word. The word tells us how to handle the very situations of life. When I'm down in the dumps, when I'm on the mountaintop, the word communicates and gives me insight into how to live. And that's what he wants. He's not worshiping the Bible. He's worshiping God. He wants to live life God's way. So are you confident in the character of God? Can you say to God, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness? Are you confident in the word of God? Do you believe that it's truth, that it's delightful, and that it's everlasting? God wants you. Yes, you. God wants you to rest in his righteousness and upright word. The conviction of your heart must be, what you believe on the inside must be, that God is righteous and so is his word. It's not enough just to say God is righteous. You got to go a step further. You got to meditate on the word and let God teach you so that you see that God's righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, that there's never ever a point in time when he's not righteous. And your conviction can't just be limited to the fact of who God is, but it has to be expanded to what his word is. God's word is righteous and upright. And I hope you don't miss it. I hope you will go back to these verses and see the things that the psalmist has said about the word of God. He has said the word of God is upright, very pure, truth, and the word of God is everlasting. And if that's really the case, my friends, those are nice-sounding doctrinal statements. 
Oh, I believe that God's word is upright. I believe that God's word is everlasting. I believe God's word is very pure. If that's the case, then I won't lay it aside. I'll love it and I'll live it. It will be my delight in whatever circumstances I find myself. What a righteous God and what an upright word that we have. And may we rest in the righteousness of God. May we rest in the righteousness of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture. And even though it's given to us prior to the cross, we realize that it's because of the personal work of Jesus that these words have meaning and bring life and informs us on how to live. Lord, help us to rely on your righteousness and on your upright word. Help us to rest in who you are and what you have said. Father, these things don't come automatically, these convictions, this idea of being consumed with your word being implemented and and the confidences that the psalmist expressed, that takes walking with you. So would you be gracious to us? Would you give us understanding so that we may truly live? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.